you had to be very, very careful in those days because I knew there was uh, a law against homosexuality on the beach in Newcastle. I happened to meet Keith one night. At one stage I thought I was the only gay person. Keith introduced me to the gay world and I was quite amazed there was a world there. It was assumed that yellow socks was a calling sign for homosexuals that they could sort of flash their socks and then another person would see that they were homosexual and whatever. This way out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. Spain expands trans ID rights and more. A Czech international footballer kicks out of the closet, and socks spark a homophobic blitz in 1950s Australia. Those stories and more this week now that you've chosen This Way Out. Kaylin Hardman. And I'm John Dyer V. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending February 18th, 2023. Spain's trans people over the age of 16 will now be able to change their legally registered gender without medical intervention. Sweeping gender and sexuality related reforms approved by the Senate on February 16th also include employment, education, and housing rights for trans people as well as a ban on conversion therapy, expanded access to abortion, and paid menstrual leave. There were 191 votes in favor, 60 against, and 91 abstentions. The legislation had passed in the lower house of Spain's parliament in late December by a vote of 188 to 150. Some of Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez's Socialist Party MPs in the center-left coalition government were not on board, and right-wing party members were vocally opposed. A diagnosis of gender dysphoria and proof of at least two years of hormone treatment were previously required before the gender marker on government documents could be changed. The new laws allow people over 16 to make the change with a simple declaration. 14 and 15-year-old trans teens will need the consent of parents or guardians, while 12 and 13-year-olds will additionally need a judge's approval. The legislation additionally allows 16 and 17-year-olds to undergo abortions without parental consent. Free menstrual products are required in schools and prisons, and access to hormonal contraceptives in the morning-after pill is required at state-run health centers. In a first for Europe, women suffering significant menstrual pain are entitled to paid leave. Equalities Minister Irena Moreno of the left-wing junior government coalition partner Podemos Party was the driving force behind the legislation. She stressed ahead of the Senate vote that followed sometimes contentious debate, Trans people are not sick people, they are just people. Queer rights groups across the country were virtually unanimous in specifically praising the advances for transgender people. The North-South divide in the Anglican Communion is wider today, with the Church of England's decision to allow its priests to bless the marriages of same-gender couples. The Church is still refusing to allow those weddings on church property. Anglican officials in Kenya and Uganda say the move has exacerbated the deepening gulf between the more theologically traditional congregations in the Global South and the relatively progressive branches in the North, according to the Washington Blade. In the opinion of Ugandan Archbishop Stephen Kazimba, the Church of England is 
embracing sin by recognizing homosexuality against God's word. To begin with, the Anglican Communion is a loose affiliation of generally independent Christian churches. The divide began in 2003 when the U.S. branch consecrated gay Episcopalian New Hampshire Bishop V. Gene Robinson. Since then, church leaders in Africa and South America have shown growing interest in the conservative breakaway Global Anglican Future Conference, or GAFCON. Atlanta-based GAFCON chair Archbishop Foley Beach has called for the resignation of the Anglican Communion's titular leader, Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. Beach charges Welby with endorsing what he calls erroneous and strange doctrine contrary to God's word. GAFCON's General Synod is scheduled to meet in April in Rwanda. More than 1,000 so-called Bible-believing Anglican clergy and laypeople from around the world are expected to attend, according to The Blade. Czech football star Jakub Jankto admitted in a February 13th social media video to having his strengths and weaknesses like everyone else. Like everybody else, I have a family. I have my friends. I have a job, which I've been doing it as best as I can for years with seriousness, professionalism, and passion. Like everybody else, I also want to live my life in freedom, without fears, without prejudice, without violence, but with love. I'm homosexual, and I no longer want to hide myself. That bold announcement made Yankto the first active international men's player to come out. The 27-year-old midfielder has played for the Czech Republic's national team since his debut in 2017. He currently competes professionally for Sparta Prague. The club's management issued a Twitter statement that Yankto had first come out to them, the coach, and his teammates. They added, You have our support. Live your life, Jakub. Nothing else matters. That sentiment has been echoed by many other players and officials around the world, including FIFA, football's global governing body. Yankto's Premier League tweeted, We're with you, Jakub. Football is for everyone. A gay Chechen refugee was arrested by Russian police on February 15th and has reportedly been returned to Chechnya to face two-year-old fraud allegations. 28-year-old Idris Arsamakov was nabbed at a Moscow airport on his way back to his adopted Dutch home after his father's funeral. Repeated anti-gay harassment and torture by authorities in the semi-autonomous, mostly Muslim Chechnya forced him to flee to the Netherlands in 2018. During the arrest, Arsamakov suffered a panic attack and an ambulance was called, according to the now Latvia-based Russian-language alternative news outlet Medusa. Itself deemed a foreign agent by the Putin regime, Medusa reports activists' concern that Arsamakov now faces mortal danger. Chechen dictator Ramzan Kadyrov has the full support of Russian President Vladimir Putin. Kadyrov has denied that any LGBTQ people live in his region, while for years credible news reports have followed a sometimes violent anti-queer purge, including concentration camp-like facilities. Oklahoma lesbian mom Chris Williams has been stripped of her parental rights. 
County District Judge Lynn McGuire ruled on February 13th that Oklahoma state parentage statutes predate any claims under U.S. marriage equality laws and therefore supersede them. Williams and wife Rebecca Wilson used a sperm donor to have a child together. After the couple's bitter divorce, Wilson and their two-year-old son moved in with sperm donor Harlan Vaughn. The judge ruled that Williams had failed to legally adopt the child and that her name had been replaced with Vaughn's on the child's birth certificate, per Wilson's request. Williams' attorney Robin Hopkins told reporters, Today, I'm disappointed to be an Oklahoman. The case will be appealed. Finally, the transphobic remarks of an Arkansas state senator have sparked outrage. Republican Matt McKee displayed offensive ignorance during hearings on a bill to allow doctors to be sued for malpractice for providing gender-affirming care to trans young people. Such proposals are emblematic of the attacks on transgender young people and their families that have swept several Republican-controlled U.S. states this year. One witness testifying against the bill was Dr. Gwendolyn Page Herzig, who owns Park West Pharmacy in Little Rock. She was taken aback by McKee's line of questioning, and the audience was stunned. You said that you're a trans woman. I trans female, yes, ma'am, sir. Do you have a penis? That's horrible. Yeah. You're the one. You're the one that brought that into the discussion. I you're the one that never said anything about genitalia. Oh, it has everything to do okay. with genitalia. I don't know are what you, my rights are, are you, right now. I'm a healthcare professional, other, doctor. Please treat me as such. When her turn as a witness came, social worker Kirsten Sowell threw McKee the shade he so richly deserved. Next question, please. Senator McKee, that you asked my friend if she had a penis, and I would just like to tell you that even if you have a penis, it doesn't mean that you have honor or that you're a man. To no surprise, Arkansas Senate Bill 199 was eventually advanced by the Senate Judiciary Committee. That's News Wrap global queer news with attitude for the week ending February 18th, 2023. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappell, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Kaylin Hardman. Stay healthy. And I'm John Dyer V. Stay safe. This is Bishop Gene Robinson, and you are listening to This Way Out. Our listeners support This Way Out in many ways. By subscribing to our e-newsletter, email us at info at thiswayout.org. And through your financial contributions to our program. More information about how you can give is online at thiswayout.org. Thank you.
color socks are you wearing? In Newcastle, New South Wales, in the early 1950s, it mattered a lot. A blitz of anti-gay arrests that swept over the port city along the Honda River was inspired by nothing more than a display in a gay-owned men's clothing store. It became one of the most terrifying chapters in Australian queer history. This way out, Sydney correspondent Barry Mackay recorded the story of the Yellow Sox affair as told by the shop owner's surviving partner and by John Whitty of the Hunter Rainbow History Group. Well, Newcastle was, um, is now Australia's largest coal exporting port and was had a long history um, back to the 18th century as a, a place where ships came. So it was a city with lots of sailors coming from all around the world. In the 1950s, we had um, returned servicemen coming back to Newcastle and um, others moving into the area. That group of men had developed or had seen, developed an, a gay identity, a homosexual identity while in the, in the army and um, they came to Newcastle and created a social circle. It would be fair to say that Keith Robinson who came up from Sydney from an established family down there, also ex-army, He set up a a menswear store in Hunter Street, 138 Hunter Street, Newcastle. That became a a focus, and he became a focus of of a community that that sort of was fairly well advanced for the time. Kevin Coleman, who was a young man at the time, met Keith Robinson at a cruising area, which are known as Beats in Australia, in the very early 50s. You had to be very, very careful in those days. Even I was a, knew that I was breaking the law because I knew there was a, a law against homosexuality on the beach in Newcastle. I happened to meet Keith one night. Anyway, uh, we started talking and all that, and he, I felt very comfortable with him. And then um, things sort of progressed from there. We were together for till his death in 1992. So it's a big part of my life. Why were you down at the beach that particular evening when you, when you met Keith? Well, I knew what I was looking for, let's say that. <laughs> I had a good idea of what was happening at that stage. And so I knew I went down there for that purpose, you know, so I went down there with my eyes wide open and little did I know what was going to be a big part of my life. But anyhow, I, uh, Keith introduced me to the gay world and I was amazed because at one stage I thought I was the only gay person when I was about 14, 15. But anyhow, we started to mix with the gay world and I was quite amazed there was a world there and people I could associate with and talk to. We had a good life and we went to the parties, but you had to be very, very careful because Keith was a well-known mercer in Newcastle and so he had to be very careful where he went and who he mixed with because he used to know a lot of the policemen in the vice squad that used to patrol around the place. And once a month we used to meet at the National Park Ladies Bowling Club for a night's entertainment and of course there would be, a, could be a, a about a hundred people there. So it was just a way of of mixing and that. So that was our form of entertainment, but mostly it was a sort of closed circle of friends. Well, some used to wear drag, and uh, the floor show was always a drag show. Very amateurish, but uh, everybody used to enjoy themselves. 
I can remember, remember the first time I heard that song. Um, Nobody loves a furry when she's 53, or a, or a nice girl loves a sailor. <laughs> it is, but it was just a lot of fun. But it was same. We used to dance, have the music, and we used to dance, and there would was drink there and all that, and food, and we just used to have a good time. It was just a it's a sort of a gathering, really, in those days, which everybody used to look forward to. But it's a funny thing how life changes because a lot of these people who were going to these parties and having fun. Um, they started to tell about other people when the Blitz was on in Newcastle. What was the Blitz? That was a Blitz that all this Yellow Sock and Tie Club started. Uh, it was uh, a purge in Newcastle. I think it was around about 1952 that there was a big purge and uh, people being arrested, being questioned by the police. It was a terrible time, very traumatic. Um, you didn't know whether you were going to wake up in the morning, pick up a Newcastle Morning Herald and find your name in it because what they were doing, if a person admitted having sex with another guy, they would print the person's name who was charged and also print the person's name he was charged with without the second person's being charged himself. Keith was uh, he was he was a, a very entrepreneurial man, and he had on one occasion in 1951 had a, a mannequin displayed in the front of his shop, just the torso, um, jeans, moccasins, and the, the gentleman was wearing yellow socks. And because it was a startling advertising gimmick, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming Keith would have told the papers about it to make sure um, it, it, it received a bit of publicity. It was associated with him, so yellow socks were... He was trying to advertise yellow socks for his, his um, autumn collection. And then 12 months later, when the arrest began, yellow socks was associated with Keith. It was assumed, I, I guess, by the populace that the story would have spread that yellow socks was a calling sign for homosexuals that they could sort of flash their socks and then another person would see that they were homosexual and, and whatever. I really don't know where it all started. It just sort of flared up one night. I think um, these soldiers who I didn't know, supposed to be recruited from Sydney, but I didn't even know these soldiers. The very first one was charged and they went, unfortunately they went to jail. Uh, but I think that started the Blitz. They, they've obviously been into Newcastle and they've said they've had sex with such and such a person and they've questioned this person and he said, oh, no, and they've been, you know, circulating around Newcastle and they've probably been dropping names of other people and all that and that's given the police the information they wanted. The first major article to appear in the Newcastle Morning Herald outlining the case of a soldier from Sydney and a Newcastle mechanic appeared on the 24th of June 1952. The article named other men allegedly involved in a large group of what the newspaper named as perverts in the city. These men had been informed upon to the police as having committed abominable offences. Oh, Keith was, it was what the courts and defence lawyers were saying, well, it was the centre of it, being Mr Big of this conspiracy, because as the investigation grew... Uh, more and more men and more and more vices, homosexual vices, were uncovered and um, the judge, Legay Breton, was astonished and uh, labelled Newcastle a Berlin 
a post-war Berlin. I guess a Weimar Republic in, in the, on the Hunter. Which um, is the name of the local river here. But yes, that's right. I was questioned. They come to my workshops one day on the... Uh, it was a Friday afternoon, I can remember. They came to Newcastle and my workshops where I worked. I had to go to the manager's office and these two guys were standing there. The manager, I can still remember it. It was such a traumatic experience. The manager told me there's two chaps there to, they wanted to question me about a certain thing. Then they asked me would I accompany them up to Newcastle Police Station, which I said, yes, I would. Anyway, they took me up to Newcastle Police Station and I was questioned there all afternoon. And they knew I was associated with Keith. They knew that. All they wanted me to do was to admit that I was. Well, previous to that, when this split started, Keith says they'll probably get around to him because he knew a lot of gay people in Newcastle. He said, so never admit to anything. He said, they'll promise you everything. He said, don't admit to it. He said, and they'll just dump you once they get the name. And I was sure they wanted someone with a bit of importance in Newcastle to justify what they were doing. They wanted a big name, and Keith was a big name in Newcastle. They took me up to the um, Newcastle Police Station, the Vice Squad section, and I was there all afternoon, and I never admitted it to anything. I don't know how long I was there. I was there for quite a while. Whatever it was, it was late in the afternoon, and you know, they must have given me away as a bad job, they're not getting anything out of me, but they promised me my name would not come out in the paper if I said I'd had sex with Keith Robinson and that. And I thought, you know, and this is going through my mind, well, all these other names appear in the paper, they certainly wouldn't, you know, hold back on me. So, uh, I, But I never admitted to anything. They took me back to work, and I was in such a state that once they left, and I kept my composure all the way through it, this questioning, but once they left me in the manager's office, I just broke down my whole body. I just went to bed, and the manager told me to better go home and not to worry about going back in the workshops because he said it was near finishing time anyhow. So I went home, and my mother could see I was upset. She asked me what was wrong, and I, I, I wouldn't say anything to her. At any rate, uh, when my father came home, she obviously told my father, and he came in and questioned me, and um, I wouldn't admit it to my father either, because I know my father would not accept it. Anyway, he went to the police station and questioned the police why. But it's a very, very funny thing. He came home and never said a word to me. Not a word. But he never had any emotion against me or anything. Like, it was very strange. But I still denied it to my father. Still denied to my father that I was gay. But I think the police must have really convinced him that I was. Uh, but, um, but nothing ever happened over it. Anyway, it was about a couple of weeks after that where this guy admitted having sex with Keith. I got up one morning and this guy's name was in the paper and so was Keith's. Anyway, I rang him up and he denied it. He said, it's all fallacy. He said, it's not true. He said, I'm going to fight it. But this is what I'm getting back to the Yellow Sock and Tie Club. And he used to have this window dresser. He used to come up from Sydney who was a very good friend of his. And Keith was very progressive. This is why he was known. He only had a small shop. But every month he used to feature a colour. One month it might be blue, one month it might be red, it might be white, it just depends. Anyway, but when his name came out in the paper, 
he was featuring yellow in the window. And that's, I'm sure, where the Yellow Sock and Tie Club, because I tell you what, I still live in Newcastle and I don't think anybody would have been game enough to wear a yellow tie or a pair of yellow socks after that. But it was not, there was no such thing as a Yellow Sock and Tie Club, as far as I know, and, and I did mix with the gay world up there. So that's, I'm sure, where it all started from. Keith Robinson, uh, well, he, he was exonerated by an, a court case which he, he managed to have heard in Sydney where the jurors would have been less biased, I'm assuming. That's why it was moved. So he returned to um, Newcastle, vindicated, but nobody wanted to buy anything at his shop. And within 12 months, he's closed it down and moved with Kevin to Sydney. It ruined him financially and personally. It done a lot of damage, but the police couldn't have cared less. They had a well-known name, and as I say, mud sticks, and that did. And his business fell off, and of course it cost him a lot of money. When his name appeared in the paper, there were a couple of his straight guys who he's friends with, some of his, rang up and said they're sorry to hear it, but majority shunned him. They didn't come near him or anything like that. He suffered personally, as I said, he's, he just suffered personally and, and all that, you know, and hard for him to go into the shop because people used to come there and point their finger at him and all that. But it's a funny thing, his business picked up for a while, yeah, because people were just wanting to go into the shop and buy something and, and see who he was and what he was. They were going there to see some freak, but he said he, his business did pick up just for a short time, then it dropped right off, you know. More out of curiosity and that, you know. I was always amazed. I, I, I did read uh, an article in the original paper of the trials where this judge, Berriton, made the statement that they were sending homosexuals down to Sydney to recruit homosexuals to come and live in Newcastle. I thought it was so silly. It really did. It wasn't a fact at all. It's just that these two guys picked these other guys up in Sydney, that's all, and took them back to Newcastle. And this judge, that was his opinion. You can find out more about this story on the University of Newcastle's Living Histories page. Just Google Yellow Socks Affair, where there are further photos and interviews. For This Way Out, I'm Barry Mackay in Sydney, Australia. Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer, CEO of This Way Out Radio and Overnight Productions, Inc. This Way Out has been selected as one of the first-year collections for the Library of Congress National Recording Preservation Board, Radio Preservation Task Force's new program, Sound Submissions. This means This Way Out programs will be preserved for future generations. You can help preserve the future of This Way Out. Email us at info at thiswayout.org to subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thanks for choosing This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. News Wrap was reported this week by Kaylon Hardman and John Dye the Fifth, and produced by Brian DeShazer. Correspondent Barry Mackay brought us the Yellow Socks Affair. Sticks, Harry Nelson, and Percy Faith performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. 
This layout thanks to the Richard Rosenberg Foundation and listener donors Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email us at info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lucia Chappelle and the entire This Way Out crew, I'm Greg Gordon. We all thank you for listening. Online at thiswayout.org or wherever you get your podcasts, and on WODU, Northwest Virginia, KSPC, Claremont, California, Lofty, 88.9 FM, Adelaide Hills, South Australia, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.